All right, here we go. Fresh in 2023. It's the first episode of The Point of Pittsburgh, The Pod. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Cray. And I'm Steve DiMaselli. And uh, Steve, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. So it's, we are, uh, we're, we're just like, I always use Valentine's Day as the pitchers and catchers report basic, you know, thresholds. So that means we're only about five, six weeks away. Yeah, I guess it does. It does come at you fast. Uh, I mean, baseball has such a slow developing off season, and then it gets real slow, which leads me to my next point. That's all we've got for you today. Have a good one. Yep, that's it. So, what do no, you want to talk about? We. St- <laughs> well, I guess you you got to go on the you got to go on the couch here first. I think that's the first first thing we need to do is. Okay. Is, is have you. Uh, have you vent about something? Yeah, so, you know, January is usually a, a dead month for, for baseball and especially the Pirates. Um, do you mind if I just kind of get a couple pet peeves off my, my chest, or is that all yeah, right? Go for it. Okay. So um, people that pull through in parking spaces, uh, there's a special level of hell reserved for them. Um the worst is when you're pulling into a spot and some jack wagon is pulling right out at you and is just about ready to hit you head on. So this happens to me about once a month, and I'm pretty close to going on a murderous rampage. Um, but I think I'm going to kind of work through it in 2023. Um, maybe just you know park my car and chase them down the road, kind of like what you do nowadays in Los Angeles in your vigilante career. Uh, in your off time, so I might be hitting you up for some some vigilante tips and you know things that you would recommend uh, for for casual superhero life. So that's really all I got this week. You know, I'm kind of starting to starting the year off a little clean. You know, not not as angry maybe. Kevin, I hear you. I think it's oh, exciting. Man, were... I think it's exciting though that we um that, that we we both start the uh, or the last two episodes. Uh, we both talked about crap that happens to us in parking lots. I, I think that's yeah pretty fun. Yeah, we're gonna just repurpose this pod for the next month. Just it's like gonna be a parking lot crime vigilante pod, just for like a month, um, and then we'll be back with baseball. A driving instructions for a parking lot slash vigilante. Uh, 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 yeah, podcast. Yeah. Um, so no updates from me on my situation, by the way. Not that, not that anybody actually cares about that, but I haven't gotten any video or anything like that. But we're still, uh, I'll follow up with them here, you know, in a couple of days with the holidays and everything like that. I'm not going to be breathing down the neck of some, you know, manager at a random restaurant in Los Angeles. So, um, but anyway, that's all for that. Um, so... As the Reynolds turns, there is new news that came out uh, just a couple of days ago, courtesy of Jason Mackey, that the Pirates and Brian Reynolds were had exchanged contract offers, and they were off by $50 million, which led to a couple tweets from some people saying, I can't believe the Pirates are ready to walk away from Reynolds over only $50 million. And... 
you know, I read a lot of Twitter late at night uh, in the dark before I go to bed. And I'm like, oh, maybe I misread that. Maybe the guy meant $50,000. But no, he, he meant $50 million and he was trying to play it off as if it was no big deal. Um, there's been a lot of changes in the world the past couple of years, Steve. I'm not sure if you're aware of it or not, but, uh, you know, inflation's been a little zany. But correct me if I'm wrong, uh, and math isn't always my strongest suit, $50 million is still a lot of money, right? Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's still considered okay. a sizable sum of cash. Okay. I, I just wanted to make sure. I mean, there have been a lot of, a lot of changes in the fiscal world. Um, so the Pirates were offering six for 100. He wanted six for 150. Uh, neither side was correct about their value, which is kind of common on first offers. But the crazy part is if those two sides would have just split that baby Solomon style and done a six for 125, they would have been right around the range of what Brandon Nemo signed for his 8-162 deal. So, Steve, uh, is one six for 125, would you have done that? I... I mean, which side are we talking about here? Um, I mean, I think both, both sides. I mean, yeah. I would would be a pretty decent deal. I mean, I, I think that's probably a slight favor to the players' side um, because, again, keep in mind that you know Reynolds is cost controlled for the next three years. So, I, I mean, really, that's only buying out three years of free agency. Um, you know, so I, I mean, without doing the math in front of me. You know that's uh, that's a, that's a huge, huge, huge chunk of change. We're talking, um, you know, one twenty-five. We're talking thirty some million a season uh, that in his free agent years. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily worth that. I mean, I do think that the Pirates offer, if it was in fact six for one hundred, um, that's really not that far off base. I think it's closer to being on. You know, I think it's closer to the closer to reality than six for one fifty is. I personally, I mean, if if I'm if, if it's me, I think the most fair deal would be about six for one fifteen. Um, again, you're splitting the difference; you're getting the middle there. Um, ultimately, it doesn't matter if either side's going to say no. Um, and I mean, I, I can't imagine that that extra fifteen is going to get. Uh, Brian Reynolds to say yes when they are uh, when they have set their heights at such lofty levels. Yeah, so let's assume that that hypothetical six-year deal would have kicked in after this year um, because this is the year that they they did a two-year deal last year, so this is the second deal. So he's age twenty-eight this year, so that means that this deal would cover his age twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one. And then 32, 33, 34 years. Um, as you and I have talked about and written about and spilled many words about, the Pirates have this written in blood on the walls of Federal Street. Do not extend players past age 32. Uh, but apparently you can sign Rich Hill at age uh, 112. So it's, it's a very nebulous rule. But... Um, so those are the years that they would be locking them down. 
And, you know, like I said, Brandon Nimmo just signed for eight for 162. And maybe your first thought was like mine of, oh, Brian Reynolds is way better than Brandon Nimmo. And then once you look at it, uh, Brandon Nimmo is actually a better player. But it's all about how do you like your value in a player. Um, I'm not sure how up you are on Brandon Nimmo's stats, Steve, but he has a career WRC plus of 134, whereas uh, Brian Reynolds has a career WRC plus of 125, uh, 126, sorry, sold you short, short there. But it's all based on how you like your value, um, because if you look at it, Brian Reynolds gives you more power, uh, a higher ISO, but Brandon Nemo is giving you more on base percentage and better defense, especially compared to how really poor Brian Reynolds was in center last year. Um, so it's basically how much, what do you value in a player? And so for me, $21 million a year in free agency is kind of where I think Brian Reynolds would, would fall. And that's kind of where I was leaning with that six for 125. Yeah, and, and I think if we're going to start the contract after this season, you know, if it's if we're going to let – we'll plug along with $6.75 million this year, um, then, yeah, I, I'm fine with – I'm, I'm fine with six for 125. I think that's that's definitely fair. And if that's if that's kind of the frame of reference that you're approaching it with, then I think that's fine. Um, you pay for power, though, at the end of the day. I mean, you know, a guy that's going to hit the ball hard is going to get more money – uh, than a guy that is an on-base guy with defense, even if they're a very, very good on-base with defense guy. So, um, you know, chicks dig the long ball, and, you know, so do major league GMs, evidently. Um, and, and and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, again, that's it also, you know, puts butts in the seat. People are going to be a lot more excited to see a guy like, you know, Brian Reynolds hit 30 dingers a year uh, versus watch, you know, Brandon Nimmo slap hit and, you know, make make difficult plays look easy in the outfield, you know? Yeah. I, I guess if the Pirates still have another move under their belt, and I don't think they're going to do it with the precarious nature of, you know, Brian Reynolds and don't want to damage his ego anymore, but, man, they really, they got to get him out of center. They got to put him back in left field. I'd like to see them, whether it's internally or or get a a glove first center fielder of some sort. That that's kind of what I'd like to see them do uh, prior to the start of spring training here. Man, that'd piss them off to keep him on the roster and then move his position, like diminish his value by moving yeah. him off a key defensive position up the middle and yep. not trade him, like and not that- extend him. Like, I'm not saying yeah. that I want to punish Brian Reynolds, but six years 150 is absolutely absurd, even in this current climate, especially when you're cost-controlled for two years. Like, that's borderline delusional, like, that number that he's asking for. Like, I mean, again, especially considering I'm operating from the perspective that he's, uh, you know, or, or excuse me, I'm operating from the perspective that that, that contract starts immediately. You know, I mean, when you have three years of team control and you you want a contract that averages twenty five million dollars a year, 
when you're yeah. you're, you're an above average, a well above average player who's demonstrated well above average results, but has not consistently been a star, you're out of your damn mind. Right. Yeah. No. Agree all around. Um, I, I guess I was presuming it was going to start after this year, but you know, who knows? And we don't know how hard they negotiated. I mean, those could very well just be the first offers, and no one's putting out their best offer on the the first offer. No, of course not. And I mean, his his demanding a trade might also have been a power play on his part to try to uh, see if the Pirates would budge, and and maybe they have a little bit, or maybe they will will be willing to come back to the table again. But I, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine that they. I, I I would hope they didn't break down, you know, after the first rounds of talks. But those are first round of talk numbers, or at least Reynolds's numbers are first round of talks numbers. I, I mean, the Pirates are Pirates are to me are in a ballpark of a reasonable deal. Like I don't think the Reynolds camp is necessarily. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, here we are. In the year 2023, uh, another trip around the sun. Congratulations, world. What what exactly are the Pirates doing, Steve, as an organization? Like, we, oh, I was going to say, we alluded to uh, this in the last episode that we were going to talk about this. Like, honestly, we've been talking about how we're going to talk about the Pirates' philosophy for, like, how many how many episodes now? And we've just had news to talk about and haven't. Like, this has been ongoing for, like, a month, I feel like, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is getting teased more than Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Martin Scorsese movie. And, I mean, you know, this might be better. So this just podcast? All of you. No, no, the, yeah, this, this discussion. I think it could be better. No, it probably it's possible. Be. So, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I didn't really like The Irishman. Is that terrible to say? I mean, are we all supposed to just bow down to three hours of Martin Scorsese, but um, but I am psyched by Killers of the Flower Moon. All right. I'll tell you that. I'll give it a I'll give it I'll give it the old whirl. You know. Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather do that than pay twenty dollars to go to the theater and see uh, an hour and fifteen minutes of avatar shiny bullshit, I guess is really what it comes down to. Evidently this is the episode where Steve decides he's gonna swear. I don't, I don't know. We'll see if I want to cut this, but you know, yeah, we decided that I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm taking the gloves off today. So, all right. But anyway, all right. So, as far as their philosophy goes, um, I don't see an, I, I don't see a, a major driving force behind the, the team. I, and certainly not like we did in the, you know, mid Neil Huntington years, uh, like we did with, uh, with, with. You know, defensive metrics and and the, and hard shifting um, that ultimately you know changed the way that uh, you know that that, that baseball is played across the board. I mean, everybody adapted those tactics, which is the reason why we had to have a rule change this past year to limit them and and limit what you're able to do. Um, but that said, I kind of I've been doing some digging and doing some thinking, and I've come up with a few areas where I think that the um uh that the pirates seem to have some trends okay um and i broke them down into different categories so first looking at the players that they've drafted um it it seems like they like to draft players with good bat speed and hit tools uh over anything else at this point like that seems like the number one priority is guys that can uh 
can get the bat through the middle of the zone quickly and 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 make contact. It doesn't have to be incredible contact or you know super powerful. But I mean, I think they're drafting guys that that are swinging the bat hard and swinging the bat very very quickly and and making contact, assuming that that bat speed will eventually translate into power. Um, even if it hasn't already. It also seems like they're drafting an awful lot of two-way players. Uh, I mean, Bubba Chandler's the one that has lasted the longest as a two-way guy, but, I mean, we've also got Jack Brannigan that they drafted this past year, and then, uh, to a lesser extent, Jared Jones, um, who they picked up in their first draft. I, I don't even think they really... He was drafted as a two-way player. I don't think he's ever even sniffed um, the batter's box, you know, since he's been in the Pirates system. I could be wrong about that. Um, but he just hasn't, he hasn't, I haven't really seen him, you know, hit at all. And he, they just sort of shifted him really hard into that, um, that hitter position. Brannigan, I think the same thing, they, except the opposite. They've really sort of pushed him into the, uh, it's pushed him pretty hard for the hitting side of things. But the reality with him is I think it might have something to do with the fact that he's probably a reliever at best. So might as well see what he can do mm-hmm. in the field. And he, that has, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't know if he's any great shakes as a prospect, but I think his best chance of actually being a legit contributor is probably as a fielder at this point. Not that relievers can't be legit contributors, but I mean, you know, an everyday guy, I guess would be a better way of saying it. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone wants to find their own Shohei Otani. I mean, you know, obviously that is what everyone's trying to do. Um, but it just, it just shows you just how near impossible it is. Uh, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays had, um, McKay, who, who was a Pittsburgh area native, Brendan McKay, and he's just been beset by all sorts of arm injuries to the point that, uh, he may not make it as either side at Mm -hmm. this point. Um, he was, he was the next guy that I thought was going to be not an Otani. I mean, that, that guy's a unicorn, but I really thought he was going to be a, an impact player on both sides of the, of the plate, so to speak. So, I mean, everyone's trying to chase that, that dream. Um, I guess for me, it, it seems like the Pirates have an even year, odd year of drafts where the even year is extremely underwhelming. Uh, last year, they basically put in all their eggs into the Termar Johnson ba- uh, basket, which, uh, as you know, is a very, very tiny basket because he's a very tiny person. I'm I, was a shaking my, I, I shook my head at that comment, but, you know, obviously the, there's no visual for anybody of me shaking my head. So unless he's, he... he, he's a wee man. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this or not. He's uh, probably about uh, 1.02 uh, Altuve's, if I had mm. to guess. Mm. Yeah. And he's a second baseman. Um, so those are two strikes for me right off the bat. But I digress. Um, 2021 was such a bountiful draft. And then it was just so underwhelming with 2022. Now, obviously, Pirates are picking 1-1. Much like they did in 2021, and maybe we see a repeat of that. Let's spread the wealth, wealth type of philosophy. But if you're gonna put your eggs in one basket, uh, 
you know, we talked about Dylan Cruz and Chase Dollander. Uh, those seem to be the kind of guys that maybe you do want to just kind of put your pull into there and see what else you get for the rest of them. But, you know, we'll see what, what happens there. Um, player development side, everything old is new again. It seems like the sinker's back, Steve. Sinker's back, baby. So um, it does seem like they're giving um, pitchers uh, – well, the, 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 old, uh, the old one was, uh, was a – uh, the two seam fastball, and now it seems like they're giving folks a sinker. I, there's there have been a few players that they've given a cutter to as well, um, but or, or worked on a cutter with them. But um, I mean, you know, Keller, Mitch Keller, obviously being the shining example of where um, everybody getting a sinker seems to work uh, for them. So I mean, that's uh, but he's not the only one. These you know, there's other players that they've tried to add. You know, in addition to the four seam, you know, especially um, folks that maybe don't have the best fastball, which I, I do think that seems like it's been a strategy for them in terms of like major league level player ad, uh, acquisition. It does seem like they go after guys that have underperforming fastballs. Um, it's a long list. I, I mean, I don't necessarily, uh, I, you know, Quintana had an underperforming fastball. Anderson had an underperforming fastball. Oviedo had an underperforming fastball. Crow was very, very underperforming as far as his fastball went. Um, you know, uh, Underwood had an underperforming fastball. Some of the recently cut guys had underperforming fastballs. Even Heath Hembry had an underperforming fastball, and obviously they weren't able to help him uh, get it back. But I think that's part of the strategy is give them another off fastball pitch that's going to uh, Rich Hill, again, underperforming fastball. Um, you know, give them an, uh, give them a, a, a fastball that's going to have a little bit more movement for them uh, and, and, and see if that changes things. I am super excited about Rich Hill and 70 mile per hour curveball EFIS pitches this year. I'm, I'm very, I'm 100% serious about this. I want to see big looping curves and ephuses. Does he throw them? Oh, yeah. Oh, he does. I didn't know that. I honestly, I yeah. legitimately didn't know that, that he throws an ephus. That's great. Yeah. He, I mean, I think he gets his curve down into the 60s. Okay. I, yeah. I, assume the, I assume the curve was very, very slow, but I didn't know he threw a, a true ephus. I, that's what he should pitch off the ephus. That's that should yeah. be his primary. <laughs> that should be his primary pitch is the ephus. Yeah, that's, that would be that uh, would be something special, wouldn't it? Uh, can he can um, he throw his ephus for strikes? So. <laughs> uh, it, it seems like the Pirates, uh, maybe at least just with Carlos Santana. I'm not sure if it applies to Choi or anybody else, but seems like they might also be going after guys that uh, they think might benefit from the the relaxed shift. Would you also agree with that? Yeah, I think that's been pretty clear with their first base acquisitions, that they're they're grabbing guys that, that one side or the other got, uh, got hosed on the shift. And I wouldn't be surprised if they really go heavy on Jack Sawinski just based on that philosophy as well, too, because I think he was a guy that got hammered by the shift last year. Um you know, when the BABIP is that low, uh, there's usually something up with it. Um, and I, I think really they, once they had some data on him at the major league level, I think they just sold out and, and basically, you know, I think, I think they put seven 
seven defenders in in left field. I'm pretty sure that was the way that, the, or excuse me, in right field. I think that's the way the yeah. shifts worked on him. So yeah. The only there was a left fielder that played center, and that was it. So. <laughs> so what uh, what do you think? Do you think the Pirates have any things? in uh, store for the next week or so or are we going to go into the deep freeze here and really be kind of scraping the bottom bottom of the barrel for content I'm, I'm serious we might turn we might have to turn this into a duquesne podcast in the next couple of weeks so yeah we could do uh we could take do like an oscar preview pod uh i'd be very happy to talk with you about duquesne okay yeah, yeah. maybe uh i mean listen it's uh when 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 we hit the uh, winter months and and the winter doldrums, my uh, and and we're deep into the heart of Atlanta Ten basketball season, I certainly wrote my fair share of Duquesne pieces for uh, for T Pop. Whether anyone wanted to read them or not, um, <laughs> we uh, we posted them, and then we did get we got some traffic for them, and I'm sure people would enjoy uh, maybe a couple of uh, a couple of stray. Um, Duquesne-based uh, T-pop podcast. Um, some some hot takes. Some hot takes on the old yeah. uh, on the old Atlantic Ten and the Duquesne Aroonies. Um No, I think that might be overdue. Maybe maybe next week we'll do a Duquesne episode, a very Duquesne-centered episode. Strong win against uh, VCU. Yeah, it was good. I mean, they should have been a bigger win. I mean, it's uh, you know, and 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 one of the things that I think that we'll talk about is how. Uh, the new net chain, the, the, the shift over to net is uh, in terms of a ranking system from RPI is how that's negatively impacting the Dukes this year. Um, anything in that system that is a um, that is a victory of up to 10 points margin is uh, weighted heavier in that system. And unfortunately, they they they, uh, you know, they, they were in control of that game and leading by double digits far more than they were under. Um, double digits, you know, especially in the, uh, uh, you know, especially from the middle of the first half on. So they ended up, you know, they, they, VCU went a little run at the end, hit a couple of free throws and they ended up losing that 10 point margin. And I don't know, I don't think it's that significant, but I'd rather, I would have preferred to see them hold on to the full 10 points, but it was definitely a good win. It's always nice to beat a name opponent and someone that also beat Pitt in the same season. (laughs) <laughs> all right well if you don't have anything else steve i think i think we should part company and go fight crime all right let's shut it down and take to the parking lots we'll make parking lots a safer place yes all right well until next week uh, i'm kevin cray and i'm steve DiMaselli. all right thank you